couple of things. I met a bloke, where was he from the other day from Chinchilla? And he said, uh, was it Chinchilla, Chinchilla Way? He said, uh, he said, Mac, g'day, Mac. I said, g'day, mate. He said, uh, we don't get your program. I said, oh, don't you? Where, where do you live? And he says, oh, out west of Chinchilla. He says, oh, we, we hear it. We just don't get it. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, hi, Macca. This is Saskia. How are you going? Good, thanks, Saskia. That's the way. I'm calling you from Bishano on Tasmania's east coast this morning. Oh, I love, I love Bishano. <laughs> it's a beautiful spot, that's for sure. Oh, I'll say. What are you up to? We're actually on the way to Hobart. The kids have just joined Little Athletics and they're going to their first ever carnival today. So we're cruising along at two degrees with uh, puffer jackets on and rugged up in the car. (laughs) It's getting (laughs) colder. It's getting colder. Jeff was five degrees and you're two degrees. God. (laughs) Winning. (laughs) Yeah, no, we uh, we put all the firewood up the back of the property thinking, oh, well, we won't need this for a few months. We've had the fire on the last couple of nights. So... (laughs) Coming back again. What's they, going on? <laughs> gee, I, uh, I don't think the kids would appreciate getting up this early, especially yeah. when it's cold. Yeah, I'm, I've got to agree with that one. <laughs> I haven't put them off for life. <laughs> but little athletics is good. It's great, a great thing, isn't it? It's like nippers. It's, uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, to, no, we, we do that as well in January. So, yeah, no, it's great. Got to keep on the move. Got to keep Absolutely. on the move, I reckon. For sure. So, Saskia, um, how long have you lived in Bishno? We've been here six years. We moved down from Queensland, so um, the temperature change was quite a big one for me, but my husband really loves the cooler weather, so that's been really great for him. Um, oh, I just yeah. went and bought five puffer jackets, and I'm right now. So uh, Yeah, it's no, yeah. it's a no-brainer. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, look, yeah, hot days, yeah, you can have them. You know, it's nice to be warm and go to the beach on a warm day, but... That's right. Month after month of hot humidity, no. So, um, yeah, give no. me the cold weather. Put on a jacket or jumper and a beanie and away you go. Well, that's exactly right. And, I mean, we get some really nice days in Vishnu too because it's, being on the East Coast, it's a bit more oh. temperate than the rest of Tasmania. So it's a lovely, we're pretty lucky. It's a lovely spot. Is that where that pancake place was, Kel, in Vishnu? There was a pancake. We used to, we went there when, on, on the G'day Tour and we went in there and had yeah. some... Had some pancakes. It was lovely, lovely. Yeah, it's up the hill a bit towards St Mary's. I know the one. Jam, jam pancakes. <laughs> I, I got a sweet tooth, Saskia. So, so why did you move, Saskia? Was it was it the weather or was jobs um, or what? Look, no, it wasn't wasn't jobs. We did end up getting jobs. I'm a teacher, and my husband works for the local water board. Um, but it was more the fact. First of all, the climate was a big draw card for us, um, and we moved from from sort of city living north of Brisbane excuse me, to um, to Bishno for the sort of a quieter lifestyle. You know, the coastal coastal lifestyle was really attractive to us and we're, we're more than happy that we've made the move. Of course, we miss family and friends up there, but, you know, it's not the end of the earth to go and visit. So I think it's, it's worked out really well. All right. Well, um, yeah, a lot of people are doing that, actually. Um, mm. And it's a nice place and there's still a bit of room in, um, in Tassie, isn't there? That's no, it. don't tell anyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, it's Tassie's full. Don't go there. Saskia, nice to talk to you. Enjoy a little athletics. Rug up. Keep warm. Will do. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Good on you. Bye. (laughs) Sam's on Mount Bogong or at Mount Bogong, Sam? Uh, I'm at Mount Bogong. The sun's just just coming up behind the mountain. I wish I was on Mount Bogong, but I'm in the Kiwa Valley just beginning a 100K solo walk. Tell me. Uh, it's raising money for the Asthma Foundation. Um, I have pretty uh, acute chronic asthma, and I just want to highlight that uh, exercise is probably about the best thing you can do if you've got ex- uh, asthma. For everything, and, I think, Sam. 
That's very true. Yep. Yeah. And uh, looking at Mount Bogong, it's absolutely beautiful, clear sky. Is there any uh, snow on Mount Bogong still, or is that all gone? Uh, the sun's shining in my eyes. I can't see any snow. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, when I was up here just sort of warming up and getting fit, there was certainly snow on the top of it. Then that was about two weeks ago. So where are you, where are you heading to, Sam? Well, I'm going up the Kiwa Valley to mm. Dedarang and then going uh, down into Myrtleford and then along into Millawa. Uh-huh. But, and you're, you're starting there at Bogong, is that right? That, well, I'm starting actually at Mount Beauty. Mount Beauty. Which is at the base of uh, Mount Bogong in the Kiwa Valley. Mm. And it's looking absolutely spectacular, actually. They've had a fair bit of rain here. It's all green and uh, it's a beautiful morning. We should all I'm be all- there with you, Sammy. I think you'd enjoy being here. It's oh. a beautiful part of Victoria. All the bright and the Ovens Valley, the whole area here is just stunning. Uh-huh. Sammy, uh, good luck with your walk. Um, well, let us know how you go. We've had a few calls over the years, you know. A bloke rang us from Mount Bogong one morning. He was up there with his dogs. He'd been the, with, in the Kiwa Valley, and then there was another bloke up on Mount Bogong who was in the snow, the heavy well, snow, and he was just up there on his own. Well, the high country here is absolutely beautiful. We've been up here walking many, many times. Um, I'm 74, so I've got to go at my own pace and just keep it uh, nice and regular. Um, And the idea was to walk along the valley. It's just a stunning walk with all the mountains uh, around you. Um, I'm looking at a sign here that says Victoria's highest mountain, 1,986 metres. So Mm. I'm glad I'm walking along the valley and not climbing up the mountain. (laughs) Good I don't think you. I'll get there. <laughs> Good on you, Sammy. Good luck, mate. Thank you very much. Much uh, appreciated. You go well. Love your program. Thank you. And you'll be, um, when will you finish your walk, Sam? Uh, in about five days. Five days. So you do what, 20Ks a day or something? Yeah, something like that. Mm, we'll take... all, all being well. I've got rain coming up on a day or two, so might slow me down a little bit. But the main thing is to get there. I don't mind if I'm a bit late. I just want to do the 100K. It's do you think... Are we getting more asthma, do you think, um, uh, these days than, than ever before? or is it... Well, they say, they say we are because um, uh, Victoria basically is the asthma capital of the world, but uh, there's more and more asthma. Perhaps it's being diagnosed earlier and better, particularly with younger children, mm. um, but a surprising number of people die each year of severe asthma attacks. And, and, wh- um, and why is Victoria the asthma capital, do you think? Oh, look, they think it's something about air quality and, and the pollen and, and uh, a number of environmental factors. Um, they're not, not actually that clear. Uh, there's a fair bit of research going on as to why that is, um, but it certainly is a major problem and it has a huge impact on people's life, on their work, on their uh, leisure, recreation and that sort of thing. I and, know. Uh, yeah, my, my, when I was a kid, uh, my sister had asthma and she was uh, sort of off school for a year and... I remember, not for me, because I was a you know eight year old and I didn't care about anything. When you're eight, you just run around and play sport. But um, I know my parents were very concerned that she was uh, going to miss school, and she had one of those puffers with a rubber the bulb on the end, and you know she yes. was always just <laughs> all, all the time. But she she sort of grew out of it, so she doesn't get it now. She's older, much older, and and yeah, she doesn't occasionally gets a little spasm of it, but it just she sort of grew out of it. We're around about yeah, twenty or something. That's a common phase that, that you get it as a kid and grow out of it. I did a lot of swimming and exercise and sort of grew out of it. And then I had a huge attack when I was about 36 and admitted to hospital, just made at that time. And uh, doctor said it's 
uh, well, you have got asthma, it's come back, and uh, that can be a pattern as well. Um, virtually everybody I spoke to with the fundraising uh, has said someone in their family has had asthma at some stage. So, uh, mm. um, you know, the contributions have been, been fantastic. And the Asthma Foundation, of course, does a lot of research. They've got an emergency line. I think now people recognise asthma better. Often they thought, oh, I'm just a bit wheezy. And uh, I think a part of the, the number figure that it's gone up is because people recognise it more. And, of course, the idea is early intervention, get in there early and be regular with your medication. I'm so, carrying that I'm carrying that uh, uh, that spray, uh, Ventolin and, and yeah. the Spacer, uh-huh. uh, with me just to make sure all's well. Sammy, what do you do for a gig? Uh, I'm a retired psychologist. All right. I work go. with uh, children and adolescents, so that kept me pretty busy. Mm. Well, good luck, Sam. I hope lots of people see you on the way. Will you be wearing anything uh, spectacular, uh, a Melbourne uh, a Melbourne Cup type hat or something? You know. Yeah, I've got a I've got a striped sort of blue and orangey beanie, and I've got a uh, a jacket on. My wife made me a nice flag saying "Walk to the beat of your heart" because that was a theme of that I gave to the walk. And the idea is, if I go too fast, I'm in trouble. If I go too slow, I'll never get to the destination. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, I'd like to meet you sometime. Good luck with your walk, mate. Love to meet you and keep up the good work. Love your show. I've been only watching, uh, listening to you for about 70 years and I'm still listening. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Good on you. Thank you very much. See All you, the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, mate. It's uh, Dan from Blair Gowrie. G'day, Dan. How are you? Very good, mate. I was just uh, talking about the wit of Bart. Oh, yes. <laughs> Our friend Bart just, Cummings, uh, yeah. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a few horses with him over the years, and or did, and uh, and I'm just thinking of the one when uh, Darren Beatman had a calling uh, to become a priest, mm. and they asked Bart about it, and he told him he should get a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there was, uh, there's another one. I mean, there's a couple of jockeys, and he, he, said, uh, uh, he said, I think it was Jimmy Cassidy, he said, very good in the saddle, not so good out. <laughs> yes, well, that's the sort of the men of few words. Certainly, Bart was when he when he said something, you you listen because he wasn't blabbing all the time, was he? he was just he'd say nah, something. Nah. It's like the my favourite one's the one when the bloke uh, the inspectors the came around. He, yeah, the flies <laughs> one. He came around the stable and said, uh, "Hey, Bart, you got uh, you got too many flies in here, mate." And he says, "Oh, how many should I have?" <laughs> Uh, great. So, how did your horses go? Anyone we'd know? Yeah, um, I had a horse called Swick. He won a Group One, so yeah, that was a bit of fun. Yes, it was, uh, we. Uh, it was like you know, at the carnival, it's amazing, and you know, standing there with him and I don't know what it was, eighty thousand people, it was a, like my grand final. So it was a, it was a hoot. <laughs> so, tell people where Blair Gary is, Dan. Uh, Sorrento probably makes you know it's the poor cousin of Sorrento, maybe. Um, down on Sorrento. the wa- on the water near the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I've just been driving around looking for a bit of a surf, so head down to Flinders, Gunnamatta, and nothing doing on shore. So listening to you, and I thought, oh well, I might uh, give it a bell. Uh, that's uh, that's great. Nice thing to do on Sunday morning is to go go looking for a surf. Um, but um, yeah, people are doing all sorts of things this morning, riding bikes and. Uh, yeah, uh, walking for. Uh, I don't know if you heard Sam earlier this morning. He's walking yeah. for asthma. He's uh, yeah, yeah. In- interesting story, isn't it? What people do, and and that's what uh, happens on Sunday morning. So, Danny, you got still got horses? 
Oh, I had a few uh, with the uh, Freedmans, and uh, now I probably might buy another one uh, sales at Christmas time. Just to, I only take a little percentage and just you know keeps it interesting. Bit of fun. I mean, like a punt here and there, like yesterday. Bit of fun. Did you did you see that woman who won the won the last? No, no, no. no. T- tell me. Oh, she's about seventy-two. Only had three horses, and uh, I can't even remember the name, but it, it flew home, and oh, she was beside herself. It was it was, it was hysterical. <laughs> very very funny. Just a great race. Yeah, sorry, I've just I've just run across the uh, uh, the room, the studio to to get me paper. I'll tell you what it was. Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Uh, actually, the last race in Flemington was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rich Rich uh, Charm was that it? Yeah, yeah. She's about seventy three. Got three horses. Sleeps with the horse. You know, keep it calm, <laughs> and she was going to drag it out of the race because she said I can't compete against you know all these the Wallers and whatnot. And, and then she it flew home and out on the outside and won. It was a, it was a really good run actually. Uh, so, Dan, you'd know about the cup, so you can give us the winner. You can do it because we used to talk to Bart, and he'd give us the winner every uh, every Sunday before the cup. So, come on, Danny. He did give me views. When it won oh, the did he? Oh, dear. When he won the cup, he said, "Go and back it quick." <laughs> and he really loved uh, viewed, didn't he? He was really sad yeah. when, and it got colic or something, as horses sometimes do, and and uh, yeah, passed away much earlier than it should have. Yeah, well, the, the horse Swicky, the one we had, was a, was a great horse for us. Um, his best mates are Saintly, so I believe he's still living with him uh, up in the farm. Uh, the, I think uh, the, Saintly passed away the other day, um, I think. Yeah, really? Yeah, I think. Well, I'm not sure, but he was he was up there at Prince's Farm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and there's a picture of him in uh, Les Carlyon's book, because Les did a book yeah. with Bart. Um, yeah. I, I'd... One of the, the hardest things you could do would be to do a book with Bart because Bart, you know, you'd say, oh. Bart, now what about so-and-so, Bart? And he'd say, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he's very, not, you know, he's, uh, and I think that what that's what Les came out of that. Um, um, he wrote a lovely book about Bart, but, yeah, Bart. Never kept, said much. No, and he kept his information to himself. You know, he was, um, as, as his son Anthony right. said once, he said, um, um, my my father taught me all I know, but he didn't teach me all he knows. <laughs> Loose lips and chips. Something like that. Good on you, Danny. Take it easy, mate. All right. See ya. Bye. Greg Miles is on the line. G'day, Greg. Well, actually, it's it's Alan Piana here, Greg. But I'm Ian. Uh, I'm Ian. Job, Ian Macca. Yeah. Uh, job here at St Francis, and I spotted Greg coming in early. Yeah. Greg. The mass used to be start at 9 o'clock, but it's 9.30, so Greg's here early, so I teed him up to speak with you. Oh, there you go. Well, good on you, Alan. And uh, yeah. have you got a tip, too, for the Cup, have you? I've no idea this year, Macca. No idea. <laughs> but I'll probably have something. I'll probably do 20 bucks or something on Tuesday. <laughs> do you go to the Cup? Uh, not always, no, no. But I usually try to get at least there one day of the carnival. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely time, very exotic, exciting time, isn't it? And as I say, you don't have to own a horse or know anything about horses. It's just, it's just there's something about the day. Oh, it is. It's something. It's really something. But just briefly, um, our history goes back to Bobby Lewis. He's a relative for the family. He won his first to four Melbourne Cups in 1902, and then. You've spoken to my daughter, Bridget. Well, I took her to the races and the Melbourne Cup for the centenary of that, 2002, yeah. when the mighty media puzzle won. Right. So she figured on the front page of the age then the next year when she did a whole survey 
of the common attributes of the Melbourne Cup winners. Did, did she ring me from Western Australia or somewhere? She... Oh, yeah, she's rung you from all over, yeah. And, and she but... said, she, I said, I asked her, I remember, I said, what do you want to be? And she said, I want to be Prime Minister or something. That was about 10 That's minutes. right. That was when yeah, you were broadcasting uh, how's that day. How's that going? Yeah. How's that going? How's that going with her? Is oh well, she's going to be a, a, a medical doctor, prime minister, if that happens. Yeah, and how's it? Uh, has she sorted out her nationality yet? Is she, uh, you know, is she a dual national? Is she? Got... Oh well, she's not sure. She spent a fair bit of time <laughs> gallivanting around the world. So, uh, but no, I think she's a hundred and seventh generation Aussie. That should qualify her. <laughs> now, listen, you're at St Francis's Church, and Bart used to ring us because it used to start at nine. He that's Bart right, that's right. About quarter Bart to nine. Was always here. Yeah, and he'd give us a tip. And now it's shifted to half past uh, nine. Nine. Yeah. Tell us, the, set the scene for us there, Alan. Is there a lot of people waiting to go in? And uh, well, the people here now are basically probably those uh, late or. Uh, for the nine o'clock start. All right. Um, it's been at nine thirty for a couple of years, but um, uh, I've got I brought Greg outside here now, and there's people pouring up to speak to him. So I better get you to to Greg Miles, Macca. All right, Alan. Thanks very much. Greg, here's Macca and and Australia, Australia all over, Greg. All oh, right, eh? Uh, hello, Macca. Good day, Greg. How are you, mate? Really well. Alan's just dragged me out of the uh, French. I know. I'm sorry about that. He's he's one of those sort of blokes. They're quite okay. It's nice to uh, nice to have a chat with you, Mac. Yes, you too, Greg. I miss you calling. Do you miss it? Uh, I'm getting used to it. I've been to all of the big meetings, uh, and um, there, there's a part of me that wants to be up in the broadcast box, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I, I, I decided to make the, the call to stop uh, broadcasting, and I'm I'm pretty satisfied with it. I, I've discovered there are other things that happen. <laughs> People go out, wine and dine and bet, and uh, yeah, well, parades. It's quite uh, magnificent. And, and you can't do because you you would call not just on Saturdays you'd call some you know during the week as well wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I was at the races two or three times a week, so it wasn't just uh, on the Saturdays. It wasn't just the Melbourne Cup day, so yeah, it was a full time full time gig for me. And uh, and it becomes I, your it becomes your life, doesn't it, Greg? You can't you you think about that all the time because you're on and you've got to be correct and you've got to know what's going on, and so it becomes your life. And every waking moment, I I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're thinking about what you do. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. People rely on it, and particularly this time of year, it's such an important race. You know, the Melbourne Cup means so much to uh, to Australians. Uh, it, it's part of our fabric, isn't it? It it's is. It's a national day, mate. And as I said, you don't have to know anything about horses. <laughs> you can just get in the whole spirit of the thing, can't you? Right. Everyone, everyone has a pick in the Melbourne Cup, whether it be a a couple of dollars each way or a, or a sweep or, or a fair income bet. Everyone has a little interest in it to some degree. Yeah, and, and Melbourne's the place, isn't it? I'm, I'm interested in Lloyd Williams. I, there's a picture of him in the paper. He is standing in front of his five cups, and I have a sneaking suspicion he'd like to break, break Bart's record because he's got about seven horses in this uh, on Tuesday, hasn't he? Yeah, it's something like that. He's got half a dozen. So I'm, I'm thinking about Matt Hill at the moment with all those different little caps to separate all of Lloyd's horses. So he'll... <laughs> Job to do on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, Matt Hill, ladies and gentlemen, is the race caller who, who took uh, Greg uh, Greg's place. So, you just walked past me here, Macca. He's on his way into the church as well. So it's a it's a, a, a hall of stars, racing stars here. Yeah, they'll all be there. They'll all be there. And Bart used to t- talk to us every um, every Sunday morning about quarter to nine when it started at nine. He'd, he'd come on, and you know, it was like talking to Bart. He'd, he'd say, "Yeah." 
Well, no, um, <laughs> he wouldn't. Yeah, man, a few words, but when he said you talked, you listened, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He was a great man, Bart. He always came here because uh, he said it might not hurt, but it certainly <laughs> might not help, but it certainly won't hurt. <laughs> a bit like chicken soup, yeah. <laughs> Greg, tell you, you need to give us a tip. Greg, well, you can be our Bart for uh, this morning. You need to because you're. I know you're an astute. Uh, a uh, punting man as well as a great race caller. Um, have you got any uh, a tip or two? Well, uh, stepping into Bart, uh, Bart shoes is a very difficult essay, but I'll do my very best. I I was very taken with a horse called Wall of Fire, who ran in the Herbert Power Handicap. He's, a, he's an import. He's an English-trained horse, so that would be new ground. They've not won it yet, but I thought his run in the Herbert Power was fantastic, and uh, I think he'd be good odds. He's drawn pretty poorly, so he's going to need a good ride, but... Uh, it's an open field. It'll be a really deep uh, market, but I, I think something each way with Wall of Fire would go straight. All right, mate. Um, and you go to the races still? You'll go to the Cup on Tuesday, Greg? Absolutely, yeah. I was here at Derby Day yesterday, and uh, I've, I've, I started going to the Melbourne Cup in, uh, in 1974, so uh, I'll, keep the, I'll keep the run going. <laughs> Good on you, Greg, and thanks for taking time to talk to us. So, sorry, Alan's that sort of bloke. He'll, he'll uh, lasso you at... Um, it's uh, it's nice to talk to you, Greg. He's beaming like a Cheshire cat with his little grandson, I presume it is, James. So, uh, no, lovely to chat with you, Becca. Good on you, Greg. Good luck. All the best. Thanks, mate. Bye. From Jeff. Jeff Parton, he's in Huonville in Tassie, and he says, I enjoy listening to the show. I've recently completed my first book, which a lot of people want to do, get to their first book of which I'm sending you a copy. There are 32 chapters, and the first and last one are more esoteric. Uh, The other 30 chapters are all funny and sometimes sad Australian stories. I'm sure you'll relate, or your listeners will relate to it. Thank you, Jeff. We get a lot of books and don't do 1% of them. We just can't. So, But uh, Jeff's book's called Life Choices, and I thought I'd read you this little chapter. It's called Pigtails. On the farm one Saturday, my sister went to Chatswood on the bus, which was about 14 miles away. The trip took almost an hour, and for a young girl of 11 years old, it was a big deal to be allowed out on her own. Mum asked me to get on my bike and meet her at the bus stop about a mile and a half away. I was about eight years old. I arrived at the bus stop in time to meet the bus. We both started walking back home down the country road, and I was wheeling my bike. She was telling me all about her morning adventure in Chatswood and about the movie she'd been to see. I was listening with great enthusiasm and looking forward to the same opportunity that would come my way one day. About halfway home, a car came past us and turned around and came back towards us. Neither of us were really surprised, as people would sometimes stop and get directions. As the car passed us the second time, it stopped, and a man got out of the car and walked quickly towards us. My sister asked him if he was lost, but he ignored her and in a flash produced a big knife from behind his back, went for my sister's head... I was speechless as he started to cut off one of my sister's long plaits. The sight of the big knife was more than enough for me. I dropped my bike and ran down the road as fast as I could. I was at least 200 yards away before I regained some sense of composure. I then turned around and ran back as fast as I could to where my sister was still standing at my bike, which lay in a heap on the road, where I dropped it. The man had gone and my sister was just standing there, crying. She had one plait hanging down her back and the other had been cut off right at the top of her neck. I was shocked and had no idea why this had happened. She was shaking and crying. After some time, I picked up my bike and we started to walk again. I suppose the most incredible thing was that Margie had managed to memorise the number plate of the car. 
All the way home, we both repeated the number over and over again until we finally arrived at the house. My sister told Mum what had happened. Shocked, she rushed into the house to call the police on the phone that had recently been connected. They arrived about an hour later. After their questions, a newspaper reporter arrived wanting to take photographs and asking loads more questions. My sister ended up on the front page and I remembered seeing the newspaper article with a photo. On the next page, there was a small cartoon of two little pigs with curly tails. The caption read, We better watch out. I hear someone's going around cutting off pigtails. The next day, the police phoned my father and said, Margie must have got the number plate wrong as the one she'd given them belonged to a truck. My father insisted she was correct and about two weeks later, they caught the man red-handed with the plate still stuffed under the front seat. The number plate on the car was correct. It had been stolen from someone's truck. The culprit apparently was employed in a cinema in the Sydney suburb of Collaroy, where three weeks earlier another little girl had had her hair cut off in the same manner in the cinema where he worked. This short story just shows how fear can control you. In my case, I'd been so scared at the time, I ran away. Fight or flight. Life's Choices, Jeff Parton. G'day, this is Macca. Here uh, in the eastern Pilbara. How you going, mate? What's your name? Sorry, I missed it. Uh, it's Gwen. Gwen, yes, Gwen. How you going, mate? I'm uh, about 120k southeast of uh, Port Hedland on the Piwa River. Mm-hmm. And we're out here in uh, about 20k west, uh, east of the uh, Langenbeck Mountains prospecting. Ah, oh, right. Gold, of course. Oh, gold, yeah. But we look for... Uh, Rare metals as well, but gold's our thing. So, and you've got metal detectors, have you, uh, Gwen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm using a uh, mine lab uh, 4500. <laughs> and I've been prospecting since probably about four o'clock this morning. And how do you go with the prospecting? You make any money? or? Uh, yeah, we're doing pretty good. I work for a company, you know. Uh, so um, we're looking for alluvials mainly. That's our thing, alluvial gold. And had a few strikes here the other day. Made a bit of dough, so that was good. And that's, uh, is that tax-free uh, if you find well, gold? Well, do it for a hobby. I think it's um, anything under 50 grand tax-free, but uh, we don't do it as a hobby. We're professionals, so all our gold goes down to the Perth Mint. Uh-huh. So and there's going to be another hot one out here today, um, probably about 40, 45. So it's going to be a blisterer by midday, so we start early in the morning and and we work right through detecting until probably about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon and we call it a day. Yeah, well, exactly. You can't keep doing that uh, in that sort of temperature all day. Because you're walking, you're on foot, you're walking around carrying a metal detector. Oh, yeah, and you carry your pick and your shovel and, you know, you've got everything slapped on your back. So, you know, it's hardcore work, but, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a lifestyle choice. Yeah, where are you from, Gwen, originally? Oh, I'm originally from a place called Victor Harbour in South Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been up here for the last couple of years working in the Pilbara. And it seems to be the flavour of the month at the moment. All the big guys are up here. What do you, you mean? Know, what do you mean? Uh, well, like, you've got, you got the Greys, you've got Novo, you've got Sonora, Pioneer. All the big players are up here looking. Yeah, looking for what? Metal and, and gold? Uh, Pre- yeah, gold. Um, they're looking for lithium. Lithium's a big uh, a buzzword up here at the moment. Uh, rare metals as well, you know, but um, we sort of concentrate on our gold. Yeah, well, um, well, good luck, Gwenno. Uh, the other the other thing I was going to, how much does a metal detector cost these days? Well, you can buy a second-hand one off eBay, like what I got, a 4500 
for about, I don't know, three and a half grand. But if you really want the big guns and buy yourself a GPZ 7000, well, you're looking at about $10,000 for a good one. Gee, that's a lot of money. Yeah, but, you know, they'll go down really deep, you know, a good good detector, you know, down 300 mil, and it'll pick up a pinhead. So, you know, that's the type of machines you want if you're going to do it in a professional manner, for sure. So you uh, go along there and you find something like that, so then you stop, uh, put it down, pick up your pick and start digging. That's exactly right. God, help me. Yeah, and then at 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon when it's uh, 45 Celsius, I mean, you really got your work cut out because the Pilbara's very hard ground, very hard. There's no sand down here. That's for sure. <laughs> it's all ironstone. All right. Well, if you've got a photo there of yourself and your boys with your gear and your hat and carrying your pick and your shovel and your metal detector, send it to us, mate. Yeah, I will, mate. Look, I just... Great to talk to you, mate. Look, it's been years and years I listen to you out here and Sunday morning's our thing and I'd like to say hello to my boss, Carl. And what do you do on Melbourne Cup Day, Gwen? Oh, we, we detect, mate. There's no holidays up here. <laughs> well, can you detect a winner for us? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have a clue, mate. I, I'm not into that sort of thing. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll look at the field and if there's anything with metal or anything in the, in the, in the name, I'll, I'll put $5 on it, okay? <laughs> You're a good man, Macca. You're a good man, fella. Good on you, Gwen. All right, Marco. All the best, mate. See ya. Cheers to all your audience and all that, and thanks very much for taking my call. Gwen, it, your name Gwen, your name's Gwen, as in Gwen? Or? Uh, uh, Gwen, G-W-Y-N. Oh, G-W-Y, Gwen. Yeah, but everyone calls me Gwenno, so the whole Eastern Pilgrim will be listening to this. <laughs> See ya, Gwenno. <laughs> all right, my mate. See ya, mate. Bye, my friend. Bye. I'll tell you why I live where I live. Lynn says this. My dad grew up on a wheat and sheep farm near Warrialda, halfway between Moree and Inverell, northern New South Wales. My mother was raised on a dairy farm at Millingandy near Bega, southeast New South Wales. As young people, they each gravitated to the big smoke of Sydney to find work. They met at a dance, ultimately married, had me, then moved to Canberra, where dad had secured a job working at Mount Stromlo. Back in the 1960s and 70s, Canberra was like a big country town. Not quite the same as living off the land, but we did have a veggie patch and a herb garden and the suburban backyard. Somehow I think it's part of my DNA that I hankered after a rural way of living. But it didn't happen until five years ago. As a young adult, I had moved to Sydney and was ultimately sucked into the vortex of a corporate job. The corporation progressively promoted me and transferred me to Melbourne. Knowing few people there, I threw myself into work. It was a time in my life when I suffered chronic depression whilst trying to manage my big job, my father's dementia, and also be a support to someone close to me who had spent 10 years battling mental illness. With all the publicity and attempts at demystification about mental illness and depression, it seems strange now that when a senior manager of the corporation learned of my depression, he was emphatic that I tell nobody it would adversely affect my career. So... I battled on in silence in the predominantly man's work environment. Eventually all the pressures became too much and I crumbled. With ongoing pressures from the corporation to perform better and better and bullying by individuals who had no qualms about trampling on people to further their own paths in the corporation, I resigned, disillusioned, chronically depressed and suicidal. After a year basically spent in bed, I took part-time work but had no self-confidence nor purpose to my life, says Lynn. Meanwhile, the ongoing mental health issues of my friend continued. 
Her illness was attributed to her marijuana use many years prior when she'd been taking on too much and began smoking it to relax. Since 1999, I had been researching cannabis to try and understand it so I could help her. I've never taken recreational drugs, so I felt I needed to be better informed in order to help her. After my resignation from the corporation, I applied myself more consistently into that research. Instead of becoming a protester against marijuana, having seen its effects firsthand, I became an advocate for hemp. This is the non-psychoactive form of cannabis. It's unfortunate that hemp and marijuana share the same botanical name, cannabis sativa. Is it sativa or sativa? Anyway, but hemp is defined by the fact that it contains no psychoactive compounds. It seems to me to be an ideal crop. It can provide raw materials for products as diverse as food, textiles and building materials. It doesn't need herbicides and pesticides, requires less than half the water that cotton needs and, with its deep root system, it helps to break up the soil, making it an ideal rotation crop. I figured I need to learn how to grow this crop and encourage others to do the same. That's when my DNA stepped in. A property appeared on my computer screen one day. It's an hour out of Melbourne, but somehow feels miles away from anywhere. I made inquiries with the agent and was encouraged to visit. It was a wet, miserable July day, but somehow the place felt just right. It's now the centre of my world, a peaceful, tranquil place where I grow hemp under licence, run the Hemp Association, which I founded in 2007, and educate people on the uses and benefits of this marvellous crop. I've named my little farm Bunjil Farm. Bunjil is the eagle in local indigenous culture. He created the earth and asked us to make sure we don't take away from it more than we put back. It's an apt name for the farm where I encourage people to soak up the fresh air, appreciate the bird life and, well, just take time to breathe. I've been here five years now and on the 12th of November I'll be celebrating the federal government's approval of hemp seeds. That's the first day that hemp food can be legally sold for human consumption. Hemp seeds have a similar nutritional profile to deep sea fish, omegas, essential fatty acids, proteins, etc. All manner of food products can be made, ice cream, muesli, salad oil. The seeds have a creamy, nutty flavour, but basically the sky is the limit. So ten years after the establishment of the Hemp Association, my little farm, Bunjil, will be open to the public. I love my new life in the country. It's hard work, but I'm my own boss. The fresh air, physical activity and sense of purpose are collectively the best panacea for depression and now I can share why I live where I live with those who would like to find out more about tree changing and about hemp. That's Lynn. Good luck to you, Lynn. The 12th of November, the first day that hemp food can be legally sold for human consumption, according to Lynn, Lynn Stevenson. Thank you. And this is from our back pages 20 years ago. Just listen. I wonder what Gay Morris is doing now. Mrs Morris wrote and she said... I live in Reevesby. Now, I know this doesn't sound very romantic or beautiful. In fact, to the ordinary observer, my home looks very boring and dowdy. My husband and I, or should I say, my husband and I, moved into this house 13 years ago. We had very little money, so it's an old ex-housing commission fibro type. It had one tree and an outside dunny. During the last 13 years, we've grown to a family of four and one dog. We planted trees and gardens, added bits here and pieces there. It still looks like an old housing commission fibrotype, but now many birds visit the garden and I can sit in the dining room and watch the bulbuls and doves playing in the bird bath and sparrows gossiping in the trees. All introduced birds, I might say, Gay. I see the tiny wrens. Ah, that's better. I see the tiny wrens hopping in the grass and wattle birds in the grevilleas and every now and then a beautiful crimson rosella comes to eat the seed bell hanging in the jacaranda. 
We have flowers sparkling in the corners of the garden and I hear my children laughing in the backyard. They're playing cricket. The kookaburras laugh at the kids. I grew up in Reevesby. It was even less romantic then, but after travelling overseas for months when I was younger, it was a warm place to come home to. Lots may have changed over the years, roads are busier and people more jaded, but for some of us, in fact a lot of us, it's still a warm place to come home to. It may not be that lovely old house by the ocean that I'm always dreaming about, but hey, it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. And I love it. I wonder where Gay is now. That was 20 years ago. If you'd like to write to Why I Live Where I Live, I'd love to hear it. Especially if you live in the high-rise, because our cities are subsumed, consumed by high-rise. That's the plan. That's the plan of the future. And somebody said to me the other day, you can hear the people in the next next unit block, not in the next next unit, but the next block, which are cheek to jowl, she said, you can hear the toilets flushing. It's Post Office Box 9994, Sydney 2001, or you can email us, or you can text us, or whatever. And that's why I live where I live for this week. <laughs>